Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the best way to buy Bitcoin. You can find Swan at swanbitcoin.com. I'm your host, Brady Swenson. The Swan Signal Podcast is an audio archive of our Swan Signal live broadcasts. Every week we host a hangout with a group of Bitcoiners live on the Swan Twitter account to chat about the latest Bitcoin news and about a bright Bitcoin future. In this episode of Swan Signal, we're joined by Matt O'Dell, co-host of the Tales from the Crypt podcast, and John Carvalho, recently of BitRefill, and now working on his own thing to be announced soon. We talk coin mixing, tour, and other privacy topics. We get into lightning and finish up with some macro and financial discussion. This is a weekly highlight for us at Swan, and we're happy to be able to share it with you all. We are live. Welcome to Swan Signal Live, y'all. John Carvalho is here with us. Matt O'Dell, y'all know them. How's it going, fellas? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Hanging in there. Matt, how are you? Happy, happy to be here. Very, very good, all things considered. Just trying to be productive. Are you uh, reading a bunch of books or what? No, this is uh, <laughs> my. I, I I invaded my parents' house about three weeks ago, so this is their books. It's nice. A nice. It's a nice backdrop, so I've co-opted it. It's lovely, man. Yeah, so, all right. So, you guys are doing all right. Uh, I know John's in Romania. We were talking a little bit before when we thought we were live, checking in on how, how things are going. Matt says it's all good uh, up there, just trying to help out friends and family. I think we're all in that same, you know, similar situation. Uh, fortunate to be working online and, and all that. Um, so, not too much disruption here. John, you're in Romania. How are things over there, man? Oh, not bad. Uh not too much panic. Um, I had to do some isolation because I left the country for a while. And then when I came back, I had to self-isolate. But um, other than that, you know, you have to like fill out a form to go outside and have that with you just in case somebody asks. I'm not really sure the, the bureaucracy logic of that. But uh, stores are relatively stocked. People are wearing masks. Not so many people outside. Not really too dangerous. Yeah. Nice. It's good to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about some Bitcoin. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, I, want to t- I want to start off talking about, you know, just the state of Bitcoin, the protocol. All right. So we're at a point now where things may have been pulled into the future or pulled uh, into the present a little bit more. The future may have been pulled closer to- uh, toward us. We are projecting, you know, um, maybe things were going to, you know, be papered over and pushed forward. You know, we can kick down the road for five, 10 more years, Bitcoin would have some more time to kind of uh, grow and, and uh, get its legs under it before it was uh, absolutely called, called upon uh, to, to be the, uh, the, the, the new reserve currency. And so that may be a lot closer now uh, than, we were, than we thought we were going to be maybe six months ago or even three months ago. Um, first question is, do you guys think, given this kind of new state of affairs, this new reality that we're in, you know, is the protocol ready? Uh, to handle a, a massive influx of, of users, if that's the case, over the next few years. Matt, you want to take that one first? Uh, I'm going to go with yes. Uh, <laughs> I have a, you know, if it has to, we can make it work. You know, uh, I, I think slow and steady is, is ideal, but in Bitcoin's history, that's never been the case. It always happens in ad- adoption booms and busts. Uh, usually alongside the price, um, and I expect I expect that trend to continue. John, what's your take, man? I don't know. Everything is good for Bitcoin, I guess. Uh, you know, it still kind of remains true. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have a strong opinion in any special direction. I think that uh, the protocol has been ready. People have been using it. We've seen times of higher usage with fuller blocks and. Now we have a, a bit more space and a bit more scaling and a lot of optimization that has happened since mm-hmm. those times. Um, we have Lightning Network. We have uh, Liquid even could, could help a little bit if there's like token demand in, in the finance realm. Uh, even Lightning might end up helping with, with token demand as well. So I think we have what, what we need and we have the options people will 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 want to have his choices to be able to scale and deal with, you know, the use cases. So I don't see any issue. I mean, there's always more optimizations around the, the corner, but uh, I think we're okay. Awesome. What do you think about lightning, Matt? You know, the, the UX, UI UX experience is getting better all the time. If we had to onboard, you know, 
10, 10 million people every month or something uh, some, at some point over the next few years to, you know, really just allow the liquidity to flow to really, I guess, become the new payment basis medium of exchange for, for retail uh, around the world. Um, where do you think we are with Lightning? It seems a little soon, right? It's only been a couple of years. So with Lightning, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an interesting one because I was bearish on Lightning and I got really bullish on Lightning. Then I kind of got like burnt out a little <laughs> bit bearish on lightning. And now I'm back to like cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Um, you know, right now onboarding is still uh, a major hurdle, but it is getting easier. You know, we have stuff like Phoenix wallet, breeze wallet uh, that make it very easy for a user in a, like a pretty much non-custodial way. It's still like kind of semi custodial ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Um, Long term, you know, besides like taking a bigger picture view, what really needs to happen for Lightning to be successful, I think, is that we need a decent amount of independent nodes that are being run by people that we don't really know who they are. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the censorship resistance of it could be, you know, in that case, you kind of better off, you, you might as well use something like Liquid if we just have a bunch of big, a bunch of big nodes. Um, and in that regard, it does seem, I'm, ca- I'm cautiously optimistic on that, right? We, we see all these uh, full node implementations, not implementations, but these full node packages like MyNode and Raspi Blitz and Noddle uh, that make it pretty easy for people to run on their own hardware at home through Tor. Uh, so, so hopefully we see that trend continue and we, and we see more of that. <laughs> Bye, Noddle. Uh, yeah, I agree completely. John, what's your take on Lightning? I haven't heard you talk too much about Lightning. I know that you guys worked with it at, Bre- really? at BitRefill, right? Um, I feel like all I do is talk about Lightning. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's uh, it's something I've been a, a hype man for for at least a year or so. And I would say, like, you know, to contrast uh, Matt's perspective a little bit, um, I've only always increased my kind of hype and excitement for lightning I, I haven't really faltered or gotten bearish or or started i maybe i started bearish like before you know the segwit 2x days and things like this i don't really remember but um you know i've always been skeptical that it was going to be like solving the fee aspect of scaling completely um because i do think that even lightning transactions will be relatively expensive to something like a low security shitcoin um yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I, I do think it's going to help with scaling overall. Um, I have another subtlety in that um, compared to, to Matt's perspective, which is um, I'm, I'm a lot less concerned about uh, node quantity, node distribution and such, and any centralizing kind of concern with the Lightning Network. Um, I think that stuff like uh, censorship resistance and, and in basically every quality that, that is kind of topical with Lightning is emergent. And so uh, when there needs to be more nodes just strictly for the purpose of censorship resistance and, and, and kind of you know, uh, complicating or obfuscating things on the network, those things will come to be. And, not, and a lot of people can get a lot out of Lightning without needing that aspect. Um, yeah. Just like even just having a direct like I don't, I don't work for BitRefill anymore, so this isn't like you know uh, some kind of shilling. This but even just having a direct connection to BitRefill, uh, there's a lot of leverage you can have with just that that relationship alone to the Lightning Network. So right. think so I'm a lot less uh, like some people are, are really uh, very obsessed and interested with like routing concepts and and you know efficiencies for routing and and you know, cost things and, and, and this kind of aspect, optimizations on Lightning. But I really do think that the that it's literally peer-to-peer and you can have kind of emergent sub-networks for any, you know, nuance of rules or quality or whatever. Um, That's cool. We don't need to worry so much about the, the central aspect. Central That's very cool. Nice. That's awesome. That's good to hear. I w- so I, I think that, like, on-chain is a little bit of a different story, perhaps. You know, we have custodians holding a hell of a lot of Bitcoin. Um, and I feel like that might be a bit of a risk if we, you know, kind of bringing this Bitcoin future uh, more f- like forward into the uh, closer to the present. Uh, what do you guys think about, you know, 
custodians holding a bunch of Bitcoin? Do we have enough full node operators out there, enough Bitcoiners holding keys? How do we get new coiners to, you know, to hold their own keys and, and learn about all this stuff? Um, I'm pretty vocal about the, this kind of stuff. I am like super anti-custody. I think it's it's antithetical to Bitcoin, like totally. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that any products designed or or themes and design for the protocol should be focused on that aspect and removing custody. Uh, I think that that's part of what I mean by saying that you can leverage a lot of lightning with just a relationship with one with one node. Uh, you know, you could have you know just one node on the network really, um, and just be having channels back and forth. This was possible even before the lightning network, just to have a channel relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's plenty that you can realize there if you if you want to uh, risk the the grief of of being censored for your lightning routing or such. It's just grief. It's not actual censorship. Um, I think that, uh, what matters the most is that users can take custody themselves and they should take custody themselves and they should run their own node, uh, both for privacy reasons and also so that they could verify the rules themselves. Um, I think what I, I think Coinmetrics said something, it was like 3 million Bitcoin is, is held custodially, which isn't great, but it's not horrible like if, if someone asked me to pull the number out of my head i would have thought it was a lot more than that yeah um and i think people will learn over time right like people who got burned in gox or saw people get burned in gox they learned why custody was important uh we'll see governments make moves we'll see exchanges and custodians fail uh and all these things will be learning experiences for people and at the end of the day someone who is holding their own keys who is running their own node should be unaffected by any like fuckery that goes on uh, with the custodians. That's my yeah. feeling. Yeah. And the ability to hold your own keys, especially in, you know, like a more advanced uh, mode, like, like, uh, like multi-sig is becoming a lot easier uh, out there. Services like Casa and Unchained, making it super simple uh, and really nice UI UXs uh, set it up multi- nice multi-sig and like, you know, five minutes and throw your uh, keys in two different geographic places and you've got some, a pretty secure setup um, very quickly. So that's good news too. Um, all right, so let's talk a bit about privacy. We have a question in the chat room from Phil um, asking about how private is Tor? This is, this is for Matt and John can definitely weigh in too. Uh, is Tor a honeypot uh, and should we, should we use it or should we trust it? Uh, maybe. Uh, it, it, if the U S gov is in your threat model, then you could be fucked. Uh, you know, I, I, I operate, you should operate under the assumption that, that, that they can compromise it, that the U S gov can compromise it. Maybe, you know, the other top governments like China or something. Um, but it's the best that we have. Hopefully we'll have, uh, better alternatives in the future, but it's the best we have right now. And the other thing is, you know, just it's kind of tangential. Uh, one of the issues with Tor is the incentive to run nodes. There's no real incentive except ideological uh, mm-hmm. to run a node. Uh, and this is part of what concerns me a little bit, concerns me about Lightning. Uh, it has concerned me in the past about Lightning and still a little bit concerns me. And that is, you know, these big organizations are more incentivized to run lots and lots of nodes. And even in the past when we, cause that's the, one of the main theories of how uh, toward de-anonymization de- works uh, yeah. specifically for hidden services is that, is that these organizations are running lo- lots of nodes. Um, and when this comes out, do more people go and run tour nodes? I probably, some do, right? So like, I would like to believe that if, if there's, censorship on the lightning network and we needed people to come out and start running tour nodes and creating all these sub networks and stuff uh that 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 would happen but i'm not sure exactly if we've seen that with tour i mean it's really hard to tell what about you john so i'm definitely not an expert in tour or some of the things you would need to be to to comment you know uh definitively on this stuff but um I, i think it's it's pretty safe to say that like anything the NSA could do, they, they, they are doing. 
in, in any government agency, you know, related. So, you know, when talking about file sharing, maybe it's not, uh, maybe Tor is not as like uh, interesting or, or as good of a honeypot as it was, you know, 10 years ago for them. And they just keep an eye on it and it's not a big deal. But in the end, any decentralized network where people can send, you know, encrypted communication that becomes like popularized enough to where, you know, street level criminals are using it and organized crime is using it, then they're going to be all up in it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But uh, this topic has come up before, actually, in, in maybe Twitter or an interview or something, because I've pointed out that, uh, and I think I think Lightning, other Lightning people would agree as far as this is sound. Um, Lightning does, it will have similar kind of, we can both borrow from and learn from uh, things like Tor and, and the kind of, you know, onion skinning we're doing and using Tor. Um, and, and some of the things that Matt mentioned as like problems, I, I actually think we might flip them and turn the tables and, and, and classify them as solutions for the, for both networks, which is if you, if you strap on the monetization of Lightning, the peering of Lightning, and then you you separately abstract out or, or combine the uh, the same thing for the Tor network. Well, maybe you can separate the the passing of the data from the paying for the data from you know and and you know just making this a lot less useful for governments. And you might even be able to improve Tor in this way with you know zero knowledge proofs and and being able to encrypt data and and have separate packets and have like torrents and stuff over lightning that are monetized and you might improve the quality of the network with monetization as well. So the, the, the issue is like with Tor and the reason why this might work is with Tor, uh, there is no, you know, monetization incentive, you know, enforcement structure. It's all just kind of serendipitous. And so anybody can walk in and, and, and Sybil and, and, and sniff wherever they want to. But in Lightning, you have to actually stake Bitcoin to do that. And you have to actually create Bitcoin transactions, create Bitcoin liquidity. So like if the NSA wants to like support the Lightning Network to try to, <laughs> to, try to attempt, you know, uh, analyzing all this stuff, it's, it's going to be, for, first of all, it's probably a lost cause. Um, because just when you start doing things like going from on-chain to off-chain, putting tokens on chain and tokens off chain, creating interchangeability and you start having all this kind of layering and actually moving value across layers through different means that the privacy starts becoming quite interesting. Um, I, I, again, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I know when you're making like an obfuscating hop in your privacy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then you layer in, you know, mixing as well and, uh, you know, I'll ask Matt now, like, give us a, a like a lay of a lay of the land. I mean, you know, most people listening now, will, I'm sure RHR listeners and, and you get into like just the week to week details, of what's going on. But give us like a, you know, kind of a, a high level overview of how mixing has come along over the past few months. I mean, look, there's been a, it's, there seems like there's been a renewed focus on privacy uh, just in the community at, at large. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably partially it was because, you know, we had the, that vicious scaling debate for so many years and, and now that's done with and, you, and a lot of those people have left uh, the project. Um, so we've seen a lot better privacy tools uh, that are a lot more user friendly. Um, you know, Samurai Wallet just released uh, their, mobile, their mobile version of CoinJoin, um, which is good to see and makes accessibility easier. Um, these other full node projects we were talking about uh, make it just more accessible in general because like the first step in Bitcoin privacy is actually running your own node and using your own node. Yep. Uh, you know, how many people just use Trezor and Ledger's servers, right? So we have, right. we have like two main boogeymen, I think, in terms of like very, not necessarily low-hanging fruit, but boogeymen in terms of, of Bitcoin privacy. And one is, is KYC. Most new users are coming in through KYC exchanges and yep. brokers. Um, so they're, they're already identified to those addresses and, and who knows when that turns into like national lists and stuff like that, if it hasn't already, or if, you know, chain analysis and those companies are, are aggregating it all. Um, and then the second thing is, is Trezor and Ledger servers. They're by far the two most popular hardware wallets. Um, a lot of newcomers come in and they, they use those wallets. And if, 
if their servers get compromised or if they're forced to log, um, then that could end up uh, leaking a bunch of information. So I think, um, you know, unfortunately for the majority of users, like KYC is, is unavoidable because of regulations. Um, but as far as running your own node, um, that's become a lot more accessible. Um, and hopefully like non-KYC ways of earning Bitcoin um, and buying Bitcoin will develop more as adoption grows. And there's just more Bitcoiners out there. There's more Bitcoiners out there. You're able to spend it instead of selling it. You're able to earn it instead of buying it. And it should hopefully work itself out, I hope. Do you advocate the Bitcoiners mix everything or like have kind of a unmixed and a mixed stash and kind of hedge one direction or the other that way? But So I don't, I try not to, I know I have coin joined everything. All of my UTXOs, I've gone through coin join, multiple different implementations of coin join, just constantly just coin join. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, I think there are two ways. The way I look at it is you have, you have custodial key, uh, like custodial ownership, right? And then, yeah. so that's obviously like not your keys, not your coins. And then I think you have custodial privacy which is like not your node, not your rules. Um, yep. So as, as long as a third party is able to identify those UTXOs of yours and link them to yours, I feel like your privacy is still in their custodianship. And you know you can never fully erase KYC. The, the, the company you use that KYCs you will know that you have bought Bitcoin. They will know how much Bitcoin you bought. Um, the government that wherever they reside might know as well in the future, it might leak, it might get stolen. But what you can do is you can make it much harder to then track those UTXOs out. So I think right. at a bare minimum, if you're using a KYC service, you should, you should coin join afterwards. Nice. All right. What's your take on mixing, John? Um, I would agree with most of what Matt says. Um, I'm not as much of a privacy aficionado and in particularly not a mixing aficionado. I mean, I've played with Wasabi and uh, I've used Samurai, but not I haven't even actually tried anything to do with their uh, Whirlpool or such. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have some skepticism for, for mixing as uh, a quality of privacy. Um, I, I have a feeling, uh, again, I'm not an expert or a mathematician or whatever is required to you know, know whether this is possible, but I have a feeling these, these wires can be untangled you know, by, by, the, by, most, by some methods. Um, so the, the privacy is a little bit you know, uh, uncertain for, for mixing to me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, and also I think that, you know, there are practical ways to catch people doing things. And if you're a target, once you've become a target, you know, hiding is a much different thing than, you know, uh, just having a little extra privacy or best practices. So, you know, it really depends on what you're actually trying to accomplish, what you're at, who, who you're trying to avoid leaking information to. Because sure. if it's just like your employer paying you in Bitcoin and then you sending it to your exchange and selling it, and that's like actually just like your normal behavior, like, there's not really anything to hide in between those relationships. Your exchange is going to know that you sold Bitcoin. You know, your, your, your employer is going to know that you earned Bitcoin. It, there's not much you can protect there. It's a, it's a pretty closed loop. And then even if you mix, you still have to be careful how you use that Bitcoin when you're done mixing because you can make it super, super easy to unmix what you did just by having habits like always sending your coin to Coinbase or, or the same amount every month and then mm -hmm. they notice that you use a different address you know next time this is just once you're a target once people are watching you it's actually super hard um, but overall I do agree with the, the, the direction I do think we should be striving for privacy and as much of it as possible and it should be very very difficult for people to trace you and in, in your economic activity on Bitcoin 100% agree there Matt can you talk a little bit more about what John was getting at there like the idea of unmixing. Um, can you lay out yeah. some of the, like the, the best practices that you need to follow after like post mix? I just wanted, yeah, I wanted to add in there anyway. Yeah. Um, so I actually don't disagree with what John said either. Uh, I short of any kind of 
protocol updates, which, you know, I don't think any of us really think we will see in terms of, uh, you know, privacy improvements there. I think one of the things that we can, can we, we can do in the meantime, because it is trivial to track, uh, you know, a UTXO through the chain, uh, especially if you have a starting point, right? So if you're the employer or, or if you're the service that's selling it to them or, or buying their Bitcoin from them. Um, so I think we can make almost every spend a coin joint, right? So if you are a target, yeah, they, they might be able to figure out you might fuck something up, you know, your IP address might leak or something like that. Um, but it just, it just makes it more private in general for everybody. The more coin joins we have, try and normalize coin joins. Uh, just, you know, at the end of the day, it's a batch spend is what it is. That's why I don't really, I, I don't love, because there's a negative connotation to mixing because in, in, there's always been these custodial mixers where you literally send them your Bitcoin and then they send you someone else's Bitcoin and they take custody in between. Right. Um, with CoinJoin, you're not really getting someone else's Bitcoin. Right. You're just participating in a collaborative spend with those other people. So it's not just completely obvious on the chain what is going on. And since these implementations are pretty immature, they're relatively new besides join market, uh, which is more join market is great, but it's more out of reach um, for the average user. Uh, if you want to use, use their uh, incentivized model, you have to use command line. Um, so usage there has been hurt, I think mostly because of UX um, more than anything. But when, when you see, so yes, you can, you can fuck up your privacy very easily on Bitcoin. This is one of the reasons why it should be a priority. Um, but even if you do, it's still better best practice. It's like why we don't reuse addresses anymore. Um, you know, we have all these other best practices that we do. Using CoinJoin should be one of those best practices. You don't reuse address, you, you use your own node, and you, and you do a bunch of CoinJoin. And like, and like I said, every spend a CoinJoin, one of the reasons I like, or most spends a CoinJoin, one of the reasons I like Samurai is because they're trying to make that a reality UX-wise. Yeah. So where the, the protocol hasn't taken measures in that respect, this is like an app strategy where it does it on the app level. Um, and it intentionally, they have, they have two things that help break a lot of the heuristics. And that's, you can do a coin join with yourself when you send. They call that a stonewall transaction. Or you can construct a coin join with one other person. Um, so it's a two person coin join. And this is in addition to their whirlpool, which is the five person coordinated coin join. And the idea there is when you spend looking on a chain, you, you can't just assume that it's one person doing that transaction or two people doing that transaction. It's not a normal transaction with like one input and two outputs. One of them's changed. You know, right. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a coin join transaction. So is that two people or is that one? And then the other thing is pay join, which they have an implementation stowaway. Join market has an implementation, but join market, you can only pay join market to join market. Samurai, you can only pay Samurai to Samurai. Hope BTC Pay is about to add their implementation. So hopefully we see a little cross compatibility there. And the idea with Join Market is, I mean, the idea with uh, Pay Join is, yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like a regular coin join. It looks like a regular transaction. Uh, so it actually breaks the, the heuristic. If it gets used at scale, it breaks the heuristic for all transactions, uh, nice. whether or not the two inputs on the input side or the same person. Right now, if you see a transaction and it's just all, all the inputs, you can basically assume that it's from the same user. So if we can break that heuristic, then that just improves everyone's privacy in a passive way. What are some of the most common traps, like, or I guess common mistakes that a user would make uh, post coin join to sort of uh, like unmix themselves or dox themselves? You know, you can, Probably combining the coins. Yeah. <laughs> probably the easiest, most common one. Yeah. Combining the coins, not keeping track of them and spending, you know, spending them wherever that it gets linked to you. Most places where you buy have like 
light KYC in the form of, you know, do they know your name? Do they know your email address? Do they know your IP address? Are you using a VPN or Tor when you connect? So one thing I, I don't know, like, because I'm not in, like deep into privacy circles, but one thing I wonder if people talk about and one thing I've done in the past myself is, you know, I don't know how much you believe in plausible deniability and such, but, you know, mixing your own coins to your own addresses without involving other people in a very uh, natural looking way, random amounts over random times, very slowly over you know the entire year, you can generate what looks like normal economic activity. Um, and, and I don't really know how much worse that is than somebody noticing that, you know, if again, if they track you from the beginning, if you bought your coins KYC or such, is there really much difference than just behaving like a normal commerce and coin mixing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, anything to wrap up the coin join conversation, Matt? Any last thoughts? I was going to shift subjects. I mean, I, I think listeners should play around with it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm not trying to be negative on Wasabi or, or mixing it or, or playing with it. Um, I just think that uh, I, I'm just trying to be careful that, like, actually achieving privacy is, like, really super, super hard. And it really depends on the context. Yeah, you, yeah. Sh you shouldn't assume, like, it's a magic bullet. You definitely should not assume it's a magic bullet because you'll probably fuck something up along the way. But like I said, if you fuck something up, you're still better off than if you were just like using a static address. You're just doing nothing. It's, it's when you start diving in to like thinking about like like tracking Bitcoin, uh, like the standard practices that people use right now, just if they make it. People are leaking information all over the place, and they're not even aware. So they, the yeah. first step is being aware of the information you're leaking, and then the second step is to start taking steps towards that. And I would say the first thing people should be doing is running their own node before they do anything else. Um, so yeah, because if you're not using your own node, you're trusting someone else's node and they could potentially log your transactions. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, you're always the, trusting but, someone in Bitcoin. It's just how many layers of trust are you willing to pile on? Uh, and, you know, and I know that Bitcoin is you know, supposed to be designed to remove trust for, you know, being this kind of escrow uh, network, but um, in the end, most people are trusting someone because most people haven't read the code. Most people can't properly audit the code. Most people aren't cryptographers. Most people aren't, you know, yep. some of this is just theory. Uh, so yeah, it's, that's the way it is. Yeah. 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 And I, I think Matt makes a good point too. Like, and John was agreeing, like it's, it's best practice. Like even if, I guess the way to put it is like, you know, we are, we're Bitcoiners, right? And so it's important, it was a best practice originally to run your own node. And like that point was hammered home with Bitcoiners. We've got a lot of people running their own node. And because of that demand and because of that, we were preaching that that's the best practice. We've got, you know, services like Noddle and MyNode, et cetera. And now I think we're kind of in that phase where, um, you know, the, the best practice, considered the best practice among Bitcoiners is just, you know, engage in mixing, at least try it out, support those projects. And then eventually, like, uh, you know, Samurai is kind of leading the way. That'll just get folded into the UI UX and abstracted away. And, um, you know, privacy will just become part of, part of the way that the wallets work, you know, yeah. that, which is what I hope we see. To Matt's point, at the very least, if you participate or if you are participating in, in, in focus on best practices, you're at least not fucking up other people's efforts to coin join and mix. <laughs> because if you start combining your coins from a mix, then they can eliminate the, those as the other people. You know, so right. you're at least helping their effort to try making this uh, viable. Useful. Right, right, right. All right, Corey, uh, get a couple of questions lined up. I'm going to ask this one uh, from the chat room. Um, this is also from Phil and, and actually a couple people asked a similar question. It's kind of going back to lightning and, and scaling and the idea that maybe we'll get a combination of like price crush and also, you know, just like money printer go burr crush coming in on Bitcoin over the next couple of years. Uh, so let's assume that happens and fees start going up. Uh, we're seeing like 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 um, transaction fees. Uh, will that make lightning useless? Uh, and like, I guess basically does, yeah, does it become a barrier to entry for new lightning nodes at that point? Uh, would you sound like you're asking Corey? Oh, sorry. No, I was, I was giving Corey a heads <laughs> He's up. He's asking to, me to uh, get some questions ready. 
Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. For for the next questions, but yeah, the, yeah, this is for you guys. Um, you know, big big transaction fees. How will that affect Lightning? We haven't really seen uh, Lightning in a mature way and big transaction fees. So I hinted earlier that I thought that Lightning would still end up being you know relatively expensive to some things, um, yeah. and 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 one of those things is like one Bitcoin transaction. Uh, you know, one Lightning transaction is well, I shouldn't say that. You know, Matt's talking about making every. Bitcoin transaction to CoinJoin, I could just as easily say make every like every Bitcoin transaction a Lightning channel, um, and there are paradigms that where, where you could accomplish that. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, when the fees go up and the blocks go full and and the legions are here, I think what will happen is the same thing that happened last time. You'll get people fighting uh, shitcoin alternatives that solve whatever the main pain point problem is, and you'll get um, core developers reminding everybody that they already have tech that, that helps alleviate this problem if we can coalesce on consensus to add a soft fork. Um, yeah. and, and we'll also, at this time, at least be able to say, well, if you're going to do you know, multiple transactions, you'll, you'll save on fees by making your first one a lightning channel. Yep, nice. Make make every Bitcoin transaction a lightning open close and make every lightning open and close a coin join. No, no, don't <laughs> phrase it that way because we don't so, have to close or open the channel. We can use existing ones. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But open and closes could be coin joins too. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be cool I, if you could like just deterministically do many things. I mean, I guess we're talking about smart contracting in general, but, um, you know, like choose to close or loop a channel and automatically have things happen with the money that comes out of it, you know, and, and be able to do multiple payments or batch payments or mixes or all in one kind of motion. I, I asked uh, Pierre Rochard about a year ago on a podcast for an unpopular prediction. And his answer was that in five to 10 years, every transaction on the base layer would be a lightning channel open or close. So there you go. Um, all right, so Corey, do you have some questions from the chat room? Uh, not a lot from the chat room today. Uh, you covered the, the two that I would have brought in already, but uh, yeah. I definitely have some questions for these guys. Um, and yeah, I just I actually kind of want to take it uh, out, of, out of the technical consideration because you guys obviously talk about a million other things too. And just kind of think a little bit about the next couple of years um, and just think about adoption and like what is the what is the pitch today and who is Bitcoin for today? And obviously there's multiple answers for that, but just think about, you know, in your, in your writing and your speaking and just talking to people in your networks and your circles and friends, like who's coming up this time in this next wave and maybe contrast that with uh, what it looked like with who came in in, in like 2017. I would say that, so what, what, what kind of narrative would we work with today compared to 2017? Sure. Yeah. Narrative and like, and like who's the target or who do you expect to be coming in this time around? Um, well, I'm going to avoid going into too many specifics because this is actually pretty related to stuff I want to do with, with the new company I'm starting. And, and I will go into more detail into that later in the month, hopefully. But yeah, user user experience and adoption issues are, are part of what I have to try to solve and what we're all trying to solve if for anybody making a product in the world. Um, in 2017, you know, we, we were, the narrative was, you know, the, the situation was Bitcoin was mooning and all of the shit coins were reaping the benefits. Um, and then all of the casinos were, were, or otherwise known as exchanges, we're trying to, you know, take those benefits from all of the users with, you know, having amassing custody and amassing fees and amassing liquidations and such. So this time, will it be that way? I don't know. I mean, it seems like with the uh, coronavirus and lockdowns and dirty, you know, bacteria money and whatever that maybe we'll, we'll see a push that would be a uh, kind of, uh, a counterbalance to Bitcoin that forces it to get ad adoption for those kinds of reasons. Like maybe we'll actually see people fed up with too much inflation and wanting a safer store of value. Maybe we'll see people that, that learned the habit that um, gold was what you're supposed to do when the economy was, was bad and, and we're going to recession. Maybe now that they're 
re-looking into gold again or looking into gold for the first time for some younger people, um, maybe Bitcoin will come across their radar and they'll choose that instead. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that it, it will be a different situation, um, but it will definitely also be echoes and iterations of everything that happened last time and the time before. I think Bitcoin is ultimately for everyone uh, and they will find out when they're comfortable, you know, when they're, when the time comes, they'll figure it out. Um, and as that process goes, uh, at least until I have patience, I will continue to try and help both try and learn myself and help the motivated noobs, as long as you're motivated. Um, and I, I do think that this crisis did hasten a lot of the timetable uh, for a lot of these things. I mean, just unimaginable, uh, really, in terms of government action on the Fed side. Uh, didn't I don't think anyone, even like, you would have just been thought to be crazy if you were talking about, about rates going this low and, and a stimulus of this size, uh, even eight months ago, 10 months ago. Um, so it probably will hasten it. I do think that governments around the world want to ban cash. That has always been one of my bullish uh, scenarios for Bitcoin uh, because people will need a private way to transact. Uh, otherwise, you know, people will desire a private way to transact, I believe. Um, this crisis has further hastened that as well. Uh, we just saw John Fudd cash uh, with his bacteria money comment. Um, so I expect I expect more of that from people with incentives. I'm scared to lose cash for what it's worth. Like I really, don't, I, yeah. I, I'm really scared of that. Actually, uh, I'm not trying to fud cash per se. I know you're joking. But <laughs> I'm actually scared that like when when the anti-cash movement really starts, like I, I think that cash is like such a useful thing for. for well, John, man, I, I got to tell you, like I, I I listen to a lot of you know finance podcasts and follow mainstream news still uh, on the side and the talking points are out. They've been disseminated and the, you know, government digital cash is coming and it's going to come under the guise of it's the easiest way to get money directly in the hands of the people. So it's actually going to come from uh, like a UBI, you know, left narrative. Yeah. What does that mean though? Like, does that mean in five years or 10 years and what it will look like? And because no, the government think, is not agile. I know? think within 12 months in the U S want to make a bet. <laughs> we can, yeah. I will bet you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to replace oh, oh, cash. They're, 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 not, they're not getting. No, I didn't say stablecoin. It'll just be the dollar on a Fed ledger. But we already have that. I understand, but I think they're going to have a way to get it in the hands of the people like fairly quickly. Oh, like, I mean, I think maybe in a year we could see something like Fed bucks, which would be like you know yeah. the equivalent of welfare stamps. But I yeah. don't think we're. I don't. I don't think we're going to have like some kind of new form of digital currency other than a different ledger entry. I agree. It's just the dollar. It's just the dollar, but it'll just, it, it'll be a way to just mainline those dollars to the individual citizens, um, you know, which they're already doing around the world, uh, you know, in various stages of completion. But I think the push is here to bring it to the U S and Matt, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is going to be, uh, people will, th people like Eric Townsend from macro voices will think that that's competitive and that it's superior to Bitcoin. And that's why, you know, he thinks that we're stupid. Um, but I think he's wrong because I think it actually highlights more than anything possibly could, uh, the benefits of a cryptocurrency. Well, I mean, then you get, you basically get like the PayPal effect, mm -hmm. which is like the best advertisement for Bitcoin is every time a small business or person gets banned on PayPal, or banned on eBay or banned on any of these centralized platforms. Uh, Venmo for a while, like if you put in the memo Iran, you just got blocked instantly. Like it's a wake up call for people and they realize. So like I've, over the years I've come to terms with basically, I don't try and overly shill Bitcoin to pre-coiners. I don't like look for them. I don't like try and make it happen. If I have some drinks in me, and a tangential topic comes on, I will absolutely go on a long rant about it. You know, that's just <laughs> in my nature. But when they're motivated, they'll know where to find you. And then at that point, that's where, you know, real progress is made. Because if they're not motivated, it's too much of a mindfuck. Like in this world, we've just been sold on this, like this false premise that there's no personal responsibility, that nothing is your own fault, that nothing's your own responsibility. 
And for people to take control of that, to actually realize that, like it takes a, it's a hurdle for them and they need to get through that at their own pace. I was going to ask you actually, like, cause you were already hinting at it. Like if you're anti Bitcoin evangelism in, in the, the raw sense, um, I, I agree with you. And I, and I maybe until recently, uh, also was you know pretty anti-evangelism and anti like the, the closest i'll get to get it, to recommending somebody to bitcoin is like when they're asking about it i'll mention that like if any value that you'll hold for like four years or more i think should be in bitcoin but you should not have anything more than that like that's the only thing i feel comfortable telling somebody but recently like you know as i started like getting hyped on lightning and and now with with uh, admittedly some bias with starting a new company trying to make products on fin for bitcoin um i i am starting to reevaluate the whole evangelism thing because now i'm starting to see that there's a lot of ways a lot more ways you can use bitcoin you know that a lot more ways that you can kind of express censorship resistance as in, in utility that uh, I'm feeling more like there are too many people missing out and that, you know, I don't want everybody, I don't want all the people that like are capable of grokking this to miss out, you know? I think it's maybe it bifurcates along two lines. Like one is like just getting people over the hump to like, you know, buy and hodl and hopefully, you know, do that self custody. But then the other one is being like that full fledged, you know, citizen of Bitcoin that's doing, you know, the Odell playbook. And, you know, just kind of like pushing forward and diving in with two feet and being self-sovereign and being private and, and kind of all those different things. And, you know, obviously we have a, a strong thesis with, with our company, Swan, to that those two approaches very much support each other. And that also you're going to have a lot of really fertile minds and willing, willing people, you know, ready to go to, to the next step uh, if you can get them, you know, buying and holding some Bitcoin. Um, you know, that's a really good pool to draw from. It, it is really hard unless you're talking to like somebody who's probably a, a hardware and software engineer with some, you know, cryptography experience or something to jump them straight in. Like I, I probably know one person, like my brother-in-law, who only wants to read the white paper and jump straight into the tech and, and not think about the, the money side of things um, as part of the consideration up front. I think the privacy side of things could get to to become narrative not on just the money side though yeah like i think that lightning having a peering network is like with you know when we start i, got, I keep bringing up layer three stuff as a hint and i know layer three is kind of a, a loose concept at all in the first place but uh yeah i i do think that it's going to have that kind of effect and that we're going to be able to explain to people that they can you know uh not get censored on twitter if they use you know something you know, rooted in Bitcoin or be able or not get censored in file transfer or, you know, watch illegal movies for free and not have a problem with strikes from Comcast or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Or try to host YouTube videos about Bitcoin and get, you know, banned from Bitcoin. I'm sorry, banned from YouTube. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I, think- I also I also want to say that like I know that sometimes talking about layer three is really just talking about like the internet and and right. you know, <laughs> centralized people participating on networks. Um, but when I when I when I say layer three, I, I just mean monetized by Lightning plus internet and plus mm-hmm. products. You know. Right on. That's cool. <clears throat> hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Say no more. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was I was just thinking about. Um, about Matt and Marty's last episode, um, I think the last RHR episode, and you guys were kind of getting into it about the, uh, you know, this, what's going on, you know, there's just the stimulus package and you hinged at it uh, not too long ago, uh, just a couple of minutes ago. And man, it is, it is crazy, right? I mean, we're up to what now, Corey, like $6 billion or something like that at this point? Stimulus? Six, yeah. to, six to 10 trillion, either like Sorry, properly trillion. announced or, or, or soft announced. And then, you know, I, I've, I've been listening a lot and you had uh, Jim Bianco from Bianco research say that basically to backstop everything that's dead, that's, that's dollar denominated around the world is going to be 45 to 47 trillion. Uh, and then you had Chamath uh, last week uh, basically come out and say it's probably 50 to 60 trillion that needs to get printed to backstop everything. Um, and so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, 
I've often said that, you know, Bitcoin is a bet and Bitcoin happening like sooner and bigger is kind of, uh, it was a conditional. It was like conditional upon major cracks showing in the financial system, then Bitcoinization will happen, you know, sooner and it'll be bigger. And that condition has been met. Like another major crack in the in the system and, and this one it's really, really bad. And you know, you're seeing hilarious things like the the Fed just backstopped like sixty billion of Indonesian, you know, bonds. You saw the ECB uh which is basically underpinned by the dollar as well, uh, is now accepting uh, basically like Greek corporate debt as collateral, <laughs> which might be the worst paper on the planet. Um, so yeah, they're just going to monetize literally everything. It's just, uh, you know, it, this is going to be a bloodbath over the next couple of years on the, on the credit side of things. Um, on the equity side of things, you know, it's, it's likely that stocks will inflate because where else can you put the money? That's where people are used to putting the money. And, you know, yeah, we may see a, a much deeper drawdown here over the rest of the year. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a big believer like a lot of people in a, in a V-shaped recovery here. I think this thing bleeds out quite a bit. But, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of room for argument there. But uh, I do think that, you know, U.S. blue chip stocks probably reinflate in moon big time over the next few years after this uh this covid crisis yeah my guess is if we're if we're actually getting close to the next stage that even if stocks go up because of inflation they will they will become much more volatile because the downside the the, the buy liquidity won't be there um yeah you're right like there's just there's nobody on the bid right the 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 risk parity people are gone. The pensions aren't buying anymore. Um, you know, retail scared. So yeah, it's uh, it'll be really volatile. And like you mentioned, probably a lot of that's just going to be driven by hedge funds with leverage, uh, so they can rip down just as fast as they can rip up. Maybe um, this is the fate of Bitcoin versus the the legacy market. That the like we just start trading the actual oscillation profile of of the prices where bitcoin becomes more and more state the more stable bitcoin becomes the more unstable you know the old economy becomes and we just well, trade places if you price if you price stocks in dollars then they'll probably go up because of the stimulus i mean it's an unfathomable stimulus but if you price them in bitcoin then they'll probably trend to zero that's my take well, I mean, businesses aren't worthless. Uh, so they're stocks, not worthless. Yeah, they're not worthless. They're just overvalued <laughs> in terms of Bitcoin terms. It just gets really hard. I, I, I haven't had, ever had to deal with this kind of thing or a highly inflationary or, 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 you know, newly inflationary market. But I just have to imagine volatility is actually the symptom. Like everything probably becomes pretty unpredictable. So I, this is one of these things that's going to just pop out of the hive mind. But it's basically you guys probably heard of uh, the fourth turning. Um, I think it's uh, was Strauss-Howe generational theory. And I'm going to put together something on this, or maybe I'll just put it out there and somebody else can write about it. But it's this idea that maybe we can end that cycle. These things are usually, this is the 80-year cycle that Dalio talks about. There's been a bunch of books and talks on this. And it's the thought that uh, because we've never had a good money, it had to work like this. Um, so, you know, you basically go, um, got it up here. So high awakening, unraveling crisis, you know, it seems like we're probably in, in the fourth turning now at the end of an 80 year credit cycle. And, you know, the timing of Bitcoin being in the world now, I, I've, if I was going to do a post on this, I'd call it, call it the fifth turning and it would basically just be Bitcoin. Actually, I think somebody did a chart that just, you know, showed all these oscillations and it's Bitcoin and it's just like, you know, steady growth of all things human <laughs> indefinitely once Bitcoin is widespread. But I, I think it would be just a, an amazing outcome of this whole thing if, uh, if Bitcoin can accelerate a little bit more than maybe we thought. I definitely thought Bitcoinization was probably more of like a you know, 2029, 2033 type of proposition. But if we can all just like work hard and things break the right way, like I think we could be seeing a lot more Bitcoin in a lot more hands with a lot more knowledge you know by 2025 or so yeah i think that uh it's at least worth to have the alternative like 
to have the alternative design of Bitcoin and the possibility of a eventual deflationary economy and putting thinking of Bitcoin as like one pie, you know, that you can cut up into as many slices as you want instead of continually adding, you know, making the pie bigger or smaller. Um, this this economic basis could be, you know, really a fundamental thing of fixing or improving, you know, human society. But uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe the reason why the the governments and inflation have been around are, are currently so big and, and prominent is because they were the most evolved in the past evolved concept in the past you know hundreds or thousands of years. I don't know, but I definitely want the alternative to exist, and I and I want to be able to uh, have that option to to just opt into an alternative. Do you have some thoughts just about what a deflationary economy would look like and what that would actually mean for people if we were in a deflationary economy in the Bitcoin sense of things? This used to be a much more popular topic in, in the first couple of years on Bitcoin. It would get talked about all the time, you know, like because people were more focused on like the economic theories and stuff. And they'd say like, oh, well, you know, in a deflationary economy and, you know, it works completely backwards. How You know, how, it's not possible. Everybody will just hold money and, I don't know. I have a feeling it's probably not that much different than what we have now, and it just functions differently. Um, and then the roles end up, you know, the, the, the hierarchy and the structure of society ends up pretty similar. Um, yeah, yeah. Deflationary economy, I, I would say one aspect that I like to talk about, uh, in kind with that being anti, you know, custody and letting other people hold your Bitcoin, I'm also very anti-loaning. Um, and loaning Bitcoin because you can't really do you can't really loan Bitcoin. You can just give it away. Um, and so, I, I, in a deflationary economy, I think we may need to change our concepts of how we uh, bootstrap or build or invest in things to be more of a dynamic of like you know legally protected uh, credit relationships instead of legally protected loan relationships. Um, more like you know invest like difference between say investing in a company you know that company doesn't owe you that money right you know you you just you own the piece of the company um and so loans you know in, in the bitcoin world you can't enforce them so but you can validate credit so you can still have monetary relationships with people and, and so i think that that might be part of a deflationary society is reframing and, and kind of redesigning how the ec economic flows go considering this kind of setup instead credit instead of loan and I know there's, there's some, it's just a subtlety but I think it, it will be a, a difference yeah yeah it, it's interesting like leaving Bitcoin aside you know macro people will tell us that we'll, we've actually been in a deflationary environment for the last you know three three and a half decades um, and so now this switch to an inflationary environment um, and pr probably one that will be incredibly inflationary the likes of which we haven't seen in a long, 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 long time with Bitcoin as, you know, essentially the, the lone countervailing force or gold, I guess. Um, it'll be really interesting to see this play out. Yeah. Well, much like a lot of concepts when talking about Bitcoin, like fungibility and, and, and whatever, inflation and deflation, you know, it kind of matters what context and what version of the word you mean and who you're talking to. Uh, you know, different people hear different things when you say these words and they, and these things affect people differently when they happen in the wild. So, you know, like, is, in, is inflation my money having less buying power? Is that really the only definition? And, and it, it is to some people, it's the only definition that matters. Um, is inflation just having more units? Like, I, I don't know. It depends on how they're distributed, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think the context matters, and, and it's just tricky conversation to have, and it ends up mostly just being philosophy and kind of you know bitcoin crypto masturbation conversation <laughs> <laughs> matt when you th when you kind of look around the world like what are what are some of the you know countries and regions or even just like individual people doing cool things in bitcoin around the world that folks in the u.s might not be aware of right now i mean bitcoin's global and that's one of the things that's beautiful about it uh i mean we can't even, I'm from New York. I can't even use uh, Swan Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on the live stream right now. I can't even use it, but uh, 
in a lot of the worlds, you can use a bunch of things that I can't use. Uh, and a lot of them are big, big services, big projects. Um, I would say what I'm most looking forward to uh, is seeing how, what develops in India. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they had like a pretty strict uh, regulatory ban over there that just got overturned. Uh, they're the second most populous country in the world. Um, they're cut off from a lot of global e-commerce. Um, so it should, I, I think it'll be really, really interesting. And, and their government is very anti-cash. Um, so it should be very interesting to see how it plays out over there. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Cool. Well, Nuno in our chat room wanted to close it out with uh, turning back to tech. Um, what do you guys think uh, that we are like that we should be building that we're not right now in terms of Bitcoin tech? Or, you know, maybe, maybe that's a bit too much. At least maybe what should we be putting more attention into? You know, ideas that are out there that we should be putting more time into. I mean, on the product side, I'm again. I'll just say it. that's what I'm going to do with my business. So like, <laughs> you just give me a little more time to explain to explain it and get all the the naming and stuff in line. Uh, I don't know. I'll pass to Matt for the moment. Privacy, uh, easier, easier privacy, easier key storage, easier self-sovereign multi-sig where you don't have a third party who knows your, your, knows your, knows your addresses and balances, uh, easier ability to run your own full node, easier ability to connect to your own full node. I really like uh, a lot of these packages out there now are using QR codes to connect and it connects right through Tor. You don't have to open any ports. That's a fucking game changer. Like that cannot be understated how much easier that makes using your own full node. It has not been easy in the past to use your full node. Um, so things like that, I think, uh, well, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I really want to see. Specifically, I think, I think creating in a, in a practical sense, being able to create your own multi-sig relatively easily, uh, using different types of pieces of hardware and being able to connect it to your own full node and spend it at will when you want. I think I think that package, I think I think hopefully we will see that uh, get fleshed out more over the next year and a half. A lot of good teams are already working on that. Um, and then on the merchant side, that's basically what BTC Pay has become, um, with without the multi-sig element. Uh, they created this full stack, and I think I think that is a is super important project um, in terms of Bitcoin. But that's not only useful for merchants; like regular users can use that too as their full node stack. So I want to see more of that. Right on. Definitely so, me too. Go ahead, John. I, I have an answer now, now that I've got to hear Matt talk for a little bit. <laughs> um, so first I'll say that like the whole what people should work on or should be working on thing is a little bit of a trap because it, what you're really saying is what I think other people should do, not, not yourself, right? Like what I think other, other people should do this for me, you know, make what I want. Um, I, I think that, you know, all of the things that Matt mentioned, we all want all those things. You know, there's nothing contentious there. We all want everything to be better and more of all the things and, and, and further along development. So I, I'll make my answer. What people should be working on in Bitcoin is, is more uh, developer outreach and education because we just need to, like, finally convince all these ETH tards to stop and work on something useful and we need to make sure that good like hand holding and, and this has always been Bitcoin's huge problem is education and, and hand holding and onboarding. And so it, that is not actually something to do with many of our businesses though. So if you're going to ask me what I think other people should be doing to help Bitcoin <laughs> and improve it, I would say, yeah, help us, help us get more uh, manpower in here with talent. I hear that man all about the education. That's what I've been harping on since you know, I decided to start being more public uh, and talking about Bitcoin. Um, and that's what I'm here to do too. So I started the podcast and Corey picked me up and let me um, run wild with, you know, this head of education, Bitcoin, you know, dream job. So, you know, thanks for that, Corey. And that's what we're hoping to do is become the most recommendable 
uh, Bitcoin onboarding on ramp uh, so that when uh, when the new coiners come in, uh, Bitcoiners will send them our way and hopefully they'll be in good hands and we'll, uh, you know, justify that recommendation. All right, guys. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, John, I'm super excited to hear about what you got going on. And I'm glad it's, you know, only a few weeks away now. Uh, it's exciting. Matt, appreciate your time, man. Take care out there. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks for coming on, guys. On behalf of the Swan team, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Swan Signal podcast. Join us live next time if you can. Find the feed on our Twitter account at Swan Bitcoin. We usually host these Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Jump into our Swan Signal Telegram chat room at t.me slash swansignal. We have a lively crew in there that chat throughout the week, but also during the conversation. You can ask questions of our guests there. Swan Signal is a production of Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. Swan is the best way to buy Bitcoin. We have the easiest setup of automatic buys. We're focused on stacking sats, not trading. There's no distractions. We're forever Bitcoin only. We have automatic withdrawals to your own wallet. We're committed to Bitcoin education. You can be confident in recommending Swan to your friends and family. They'll be in good hands. We'll help them through the new coiner phase and teach them to be strong and hardened hodlers along with you. All right, again, follow us on Twitter at Swan Bitcoin. Subscribe to the podcast at swansignalpodcast.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.